Welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, May the 8th. In a moment, we'll be hearing from the Lancet's editor, Dr Richard Horton, about the coverage we've given to the funding patterns of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, linked to a health policy, comment and editorial in this week's issue. Just before that, a few other content highlights to give you. And also just to mention, I hope that you've all managed to catch our special H1N1 Influenza podcast earlier this week. But from the issue of The Lancet dated May the 9th to the 15th, in research, all these articles were previously published online before print. A study looking at the drug Voglobos for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, this time in a Japanese population. Also, what about infants who need to be resuscitated at birth? How do they fare in terms of cognitive ability at 8 years? This is assessed by another research article. And also in research, a study from Uganda looking at the home management of malaria treatment. This week's seminar looks at brain hemorrhage, and we have some lively correspondence in response to the pragmatic randomised trial we published a few weeks ago and featured in the podcast about below-the-knee casts for severe ankle sprain, and also a recent editorial we ran about the Pope. But back to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the feature for this week's podcast. Here is our editor, Richard Horton. During the last decade or so, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is the largest private grant-making foundation on the planet, has made a massive contribution to global health. It's managed to get greater scientific commitment to global health issues, perhaps most importantly, political commitment. And it's added a kind of dynamism and energy and uh, ambition to achieving success in global health that really wasn't there before the Gates Foundation was founded. During the last few years, many observers of the global health scene have pushed very hard that big programs should be properly evaluated, work that WHO does and various other agencies. A large foundation like the Gates Foundation doesn't escape that call for careful scrutiny, and it's perhaps surprising that the program has never been properly assessed. And what this paper tries to do by David McCoy and his colleagues at University College London is to look at over a thousand Gates grants over the past 10 years or so, which amount to almost 9 billion US dollars, and to see who got the money, what they spent it on, and what lessons we can draw from that. It's a very interesting story. The Gates Foundation is very powerful because of the checkbook that it wields. And there are some general lessons. I mean, I think you can see, first of all, that there's a huge influence over the structure and the agenda of global health that comes from the foundation. And that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. I think it's very good to have an energetic advocate. By virtue of what the fund uh, actually supports, that does steer the agenda in a particular direction. And the foundation doesn't come without its own agenda itself. It has a very clear idea of what's right and what's wrong in global health. It's very supportive of technological solutions. And of course, you would not be surprised, given that it's Bill Gates who's leading this foundation, that he believes in technological solutions. The result of that, though, is that there are many other interventions, public health interventions, more traditional health systems, strengthening interventions, which tend to get neglected. And, of course, when you've got a large amount of money, researchers will tend to follow the money. And that means that, broadly, the global health research community, in following the Gates Foundation investments, it means that they're not doing other things. And the things they're not doing are looking at these broader health system strengthening options. So I think that's one very big concern. The second concern is that the foundation fo is focusing on particular diseases. 
to the exclusion of some other diseases. So HIV, AIDS and malaria are big investments for the foundation. And again, rightly so, they are big global health problems. Nobody would um, quarrel with that view. But there are other issues as well, like maternal, newborn and child health, tuberculosis, chronic diseases in particular uh, emerging in middle-income countries where, you know, their lack of investment in that area and lack of support for those domains really does raise some concerns. It's not a sin of commission, it's a sin of omission that I think worries many people. I'm afraid a third big area as well is where do they spend their money? There is a general consensus amongst pretty much everybody who works in Global Health Day that one of our top priorities is to strengthen capacity in low and middle income countries. And when we talk about strengthening capacity, we're talking about people getting people trained in medicine, trained in public health, trained in healthcare delivery, trained in research, actually working and living in low middle income countries. It's about building institutions, research institutions, hospitals, clinics, primary healthcare facilities, research centers. Any investment fund, any grant making award scheme now pays enormous attention to building this capacity and the really difficult thing is that when you look at the top universities that have been supported and out of the top 20 grant recipients there are eight universities five of them are in the US and three of them are in the United Kingdom there is a very minimal support for capacity building in low middle income countries there are 231 grants made to universities by the Gates Foundation in this 10 year interval only 12 of those grants were made to uh, universities in low and middle income countries. And that, unfortunately, is deepening, tragically, a terrible inequity in capacity, health and research capacity between the rich world and the less rich world. And that's a big concern. So what we've tried to do in the editorial that accompanies this paper is to make a few modest suggestions. We ask that the Gates Foundation improves its governance, bring in diverse leaders from Africa, from South Asia, who are working in research or healthcare in countries and put them on the Global Health Advisory Panel that the Foundation has. Improve your transparency and accountability. Explain what your strategy is. It's really not clear. And change it after listening to other people. Also, make your grant awarding schemes more aligned with the global burden of disease. There are big neglected chunks of disease and disability that just simply don't get covered by the foundation. Also, build capacity, support health systems, support people working in countries so that there is a sustained footprint of what you're doing. And lastly, please listen to your friends. You have many friends out there who want the foundation to succeed and want to work with you. We were really disappointed. We invited the Gates Foundation to write up to a 2,000-word response to the policy article we published this week, the editorial and the comment we also have from Bob Black and colleagues at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. But the foundation declined to respond and our invitation to set out its vision and strategy for the future. You know, I think when you're a big foundation, you're spending nine billion over 10 years in global health. It's not a duty, perhaps, but there is a responsibility to take your friends and your critics seriously and to engage with them. And I think refusing to engage shows an attitude that's not good, actually. That's not good. We're all trying to achieve the same objective here, and we should be trying to work much more closely together and talk to one another. And 
sometimes the Gates Foundation doesn't want to talk. It doesn't value every voice that wants to contribute to the debate about global health. Many thanks to Richard for that and to you all for listening. See you next week.